Greetings, and welcome to Skylanders Portalcasters, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything Skylanders. I am your host, GF Ditto, and I am joined today by co-host Inklander. And in today's episode, we're going to be discussing the foils for chaos. Inklander, how are you doing today? How are you feeling about this? I'm doing really well, Ditto, and this is actually going to be a really fun topic. We've been talking about some of the literary and storytelling elements of the Skylanders games and specifically all the characters like we've gone from talking generally about the NPCs to talking about our protagonists to talking about chaos and now here we're going to be talking about the foils of chaos and that's going to be a lot of fun so foils uh in the literary kind of term are basically these characters that are usually put into stories that are there to to test the protagonists but they're usually there to like pull information out of the protagonist to be able to exemplify to the reader uh, or to the viewer, depending on what kind of medium it is. But typically this is talked about literary in a literary background. But a foil typically is there as a character to facilitate a reaction out of the protagonist. But in this case, like while we do see that with Flynn, and while we've talked about that a little bit with Flynn, in that basically Callie and Tessa act as foils to Flynn, the real foils that matter in the Skylanders franchise are, of course, the characters that test chaos and the characters that facilitate different reactions and different actions out of chaos. And they actually introduce consistently and intentionally we know from interviews with vicarious visions that they intentionally go out of their way to place characters like this into the stories to be able to get chaos to react in different ways so we're going to be talking about all these characters that get introduced throughout the franchise typically one or a group of characters throughout the games that facilitate these different reactions and different expressions out of chaos Absolutely. And so the first character that really needs to be mentioned here is Glumshanks. Chaos's trusty sidekick, troll, butler, whatever you want to call him. He's kind of always there trying to do what he thinks is best for Chaos. Exactly. Yeah, it's really a lot of fun. Glumshanks is our first foil. He is the one that gets introduced in Spyro's Adventure, and we see him evolve so much over the course of the games. We see him evolve in the TV show as well. The TV show, also some good storytelling, but that warrants its own separate discussion in the future. But, like, Glumshanks is a really cool complex character because we see him stay with chaos here throughout all the games and really put up with all of his stuff and the thing is is it's like you you can tell that he cares about chaos you can tell that he wants to help chaos but you know glumshanks and even even chaos and like swap force when he evilizes glumshanks chaos is like i really don't think that you're fully convinced to be on the side of evil so he evilizes glumshanks but I really like Glumshanks's reluctance, and I really like how Glumshanks is often there as, like, the physical manifestation of Chaos's moral compass, in a way. Like, that's pretty much who Glumshanks is supposed to be, because Glumshanks kind of stands in there and uh, acts as the emotional side of Chaos, as being like, like, are, are you sure you want to do this? Well, actually, maybe not the emotional side. Maybe he's more, more so, like, the logical side. I feel like that might be the better the better description of him because chaos typically reacts on impulse. Meanwhile, 
like we have Glumshanks being the one that steps in and is like, well, do you really think that's a good idea, sir? <laughs> you know, like we have him stepping in there and it makes him a really cool complex character because even once Chaos fires Glumshanks in Superchargers, we even have Chaos intentionally bringing in and literally manifesting an imaginary Glumshanks to be able to have these kind of moral conversations with him of being like, well, is this okay? Is this the right thing to do? So Glumshanks is kind of there as like Chaos's anchor. And I really appreciate that about the character. Absolutely. And it really just does make Glumshanks as lovable as he is. Oh yeah, he puts up with all this stuff from Chaos, uh, and you, you feel sorry for him, but you also really appreciate what he's trying to do. Like, you really appreciate that he's there trying to, like, be the friend to Chaos that Chaos doesn't realize he needs. Exactly. And Glumshanks will stay by Chaos's side and prove a foil all the way to the end of the series. Exactly right, yeah. And, like, it, it really creates some really interesting dynamics. Like, you know, we see Chaos evilize Glumshanks because he gets to that point where he's like, do I really need this, like, manifestation of a conscience here? And he's like, he kind of sees Glumshanks as standing in his way in Swap Force. So that creates an interesting dynamic where Glumshanks has to try to be evil. It, it really kind of makes Glumshanks a really interesting, really kind of diverse character. And then when you see scenes where Glumshanks ends up sacrificing himself for the good of the many, when the core lights getting destroyed in Superchargers, you really feel for him. And yes, while he does just end up getting captured by Pandergast, and we find that out like immediately, like just a couple minutes later, this whole scene where it's like Glumshanks really acts as this care ethics kind of character who is willing to like go above and beyond to care about others like it, it really is a interesting mechanic that we see with the character and it's fun to see how he interacts with chaos and kind of bring chaos back from the brink of the destruction and self-destruction oftentimes that chaos wants to try to inflict now moving forward into the foil introduced in skylanders giants we have the archean conquertron that chaos kind of activates as he forces his way through the portal back into Skylands. Yes, yeah, so this is actually probably, I think, the weirdest foil they came up with, because there, there's not really too much to say about the Archean Conquertron, honestly. He's fun, he's voiced by a very famous voice actor, George Takai. Well, I mean... Not really famous voice actor. He's famous for Star Trek. We know that. He's Sulu. But like, <laughs> and he has a very distinct voice. Like you can kind of hear him saying, oh my, uh, when when he's voicing the Archean Conquertron. So they picked a really fun voice actor. But the character itself, I think really just kind of is there to help facilitate the evil part of chaos <laughs> in, in many ways. Like I think where Glumshanks is oftentimes questioning the Archean Conquertron and is often like questioning Chaos, we have the Conquertron kind of building up Chaos. He's kind of acting as that loyal follower kind of character, which really helps to emphasize the ego of Chaos. And while we saw that in Spyro's Adventure, like this does kind of still bring an interesting and different dynamic to Chaos because we have this guy who's continuing to build up Chaos and make Chaos feel good about uh, his, his power and his plans to control Skylands. So while it's not necessarily the most exciting and it's not really challenging chaos in any way, it's still fun to get like a different side of that maniacal side of chaos through the Conquertron. 
And I feel like the Conquertron just kind of helped to push Chaos to see how far Chaos was willing to go. Yeah, I definitely agree. And moving on into Skylander's Swap Force, we are introduced to a very interesting and unique foil. Chaos's mom, also known as Chaosandra. That, yeah, that's the name we don't get in the games, but the name that a lot of people, I think, think of Chaos's mom as. There are issues with this foil. Like, I really think it would have been great to see her get developed more. But as we've been talking about Chaos in the last episode, we actually realized by looking at, like, the Chaos Diaries and other things like that, like, there are still very much hints of his mother's influence and, like, him complaining that she never made him a birthday cake. So we do still see her influence carry beyond Swap Force. Uh, but yeah, her her influence in Swap Force definitely, I think, could have been better. But what we do really get to see is how, like, passive-aggressive he is towards her. Like, she is very unapproving of him. And he often has to feel like he has to kind of prove himself to her. She is this other dark portal master, and she very much is very passive-aggressive towards him as well. She sees that he's failed him, and he's trying to prove to her that he is not the failure that she perceives him to be and it's really an interesting dynamic because it does give you a little bit of insight into his background and into his childhood as to like how he was neglected how he didn't really get the love that he was looking for and like we get to see that kind of play out throughout swap force and that eventually you know his mom's proud of him by the end of it because he ends up allowing her to pretty much get hoodwinked by the skylanders so he can go evilize the volcano and uh you know he does get a little bit of a glimmer of respect from her but even still we can see that he holds like resentment towards Chaosandra because in later entries like he's still talking about the birthday cake and he's talking about how she sent him a self-help book and how that annoys him and so like we, we still see that she has a very strong influence on him in that she really doesn't believe in him and that's part of the reason why he's looking for the respect that he wants out of everyone in Skylands. Absolutely. And though we don't know Chaos's full backstory and how he came to be the man that he is, it stands to reason that his mom played a huge role in forming him into what he is. She insisted that he would never have any friends. She may have been the one who pushed him towards being a dark portal master as opposed to a portal master. We, we don't have all the answers, but this particular relationship is one that is a lot bigger and goes a lot deeper. I think this particular foil is only really rivaled by Glumshanks and his relationship with Chaos. Yeah, like, I, I really do appreciate uh, her relationship with Chaos, and I do wish we had gotten to see more of that in the games. I love how it plays out in the TV show, because they add in that other extra layer of her actually being good and kind of on the side of Eon, but she's having to, like, kind of play this double agent, and, like, Chaos is trying to, you know, impress her with that, but also she doesn't, like, she, she also is kind of disappointed in him, but for different reasons. Like, it adds even more dynamics to their relationship. And I love that. But, you know, and, and I feel like that also works with her being actually evil, like she is in the games. It's just I do wish they had played it out a little bit more. Like, she is actually a really compelling character for Chaos to be able to interact with. And I wish we did get to see her a little bit more beyond Swap Force and a couple offhand mentions in Superchargers and Imaginators. Right. But then we reach Skylander's Trap Team, where we are introduced to a whole slew of foils for Chaos, 
in the Doom Raiders, but one particularly stands out more than the rest because she is their leader, of course, and the one that the rest of the Doom Raiders answer to, and that would be the Golden Queen. Oh, yeah. So this group of villains is fun. Like, I love their interactions and dynamics with chaos. Oh, yes. I don't think it's as meaningful as the relationship he has with his mother. But, oh, wow, the way that they pull on his strings is really fun because they are pretty much, like, challenging him in, like, well, you're not really the best villain. We're the best villains. And they're all kind of, like, fighting with him in that. And we see him challenge the Golden Queen to the evil off. And we see all of them laughing at him. And they're like, oh, yeah, good job blowing up the prison when, like, really, you know, he, he goes a little overboard with the whole jailbreak thing and ends up splintering uh the universe itself along the light and dark elements back in the skylands but like they make fun of them for that they they're like yeah thanks for breaking us out but like that didn't really go to your plan very well did it chaos so they they very much tease him they don't really have the respect for him and he was hoping for it he was hoping that like by breaking them out he would kind of become their natural leader and that he would be able to kind of take control and get the respect from these characters but instead they really push his buttons and have him question like is he the best villain so that's kind of interesting it really is and it's interesting to see the interactions between them because all they ever do is push his buttons and it's a lot of fun i mean even down to the point where dr crankcase catches him in a barrel and wolfgang just picks him up and takes off yep (laughs) they really do not care about chaos at all they're just like yeah whatever he's just this pawn that we can use (laughs) like we're just using him to like you know fit our needs and it's really kind of interesting it's really really fun and to see his interactions with golden queen as well where you know he just he's baffled by this fact that she's just like yeah i built this weapon i had this whole evil scheme and really it's just because i want to be rich like i just want all the gold (laughs) and chaos is like what you did all this and you don't want to rule Skylands? And she's just like, yeah, I just I just want the gold. <laughs> so the fact that they brush him off so much is just quite interesting because it really fuels his need to take over the ultimate weapon at the end of Trap Team. It's what fuels him into being still the main antagonist by the end because eventually he manages to survive all the Doom Raiders that have been trapped and like he's the last one left and he's like cool that really pretty much showcases i am the best i've managed to outsmart all of them and like basically it's also interesting too because them using him as a pawn kind of almost allowed him to survive which is also a little weird as well true and speaking of using chaos as nothing but a pawn we move forward into skylander superchargers where the foil for Chaos here is one that Chaos kind of created for himself, just like the Doom Raiders, he released the darkness. And the darkness would go forward to make him think that he's kind of in charge, and then ultimately use him as a pawn. Other than Glumshanks, I think the darkness might be my personal favorite foil to Chaos. I think Glumshanks is, like, the definitive best, but... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Like... Chaos's mom's also great because we get a lot of backstory, but oh wow, the darkness is such a fun character because oh, yes. we really get to see him like manipulate chaos throughout this whole thing, and chaos doesn't quite realize it's happening initially. Not until the very end. Yeah, it's really fun because we see, you know, we see him manipulate him where it's like he takes away his powers, he takes away the darkness symbol on his forehead, and he's like, no chaos, you are gonna press that button and you are gonna destroy Skylands. And we see like 
Chaos have that line with Glumshanks where it's like, that's that's how you uh, handle your minions. And then the darkness reiterates that back to Glumshanks about chaos. And we really, I love this plot line so much because that's really what showcases the darkness as the kind of ultimate foil to chaos, I think, other than Glumshanks in that it really drives home the fact that Chaos is the one that is going to rule Skylands. Like, no matter what, at the end of the day, like, Chaos doesn't want anyone else doing it. He wants the unconditional love and respect of everyone in Skylands when he goes to rule it. And the the way that these characters play off of each other and that Chaos is initially in awe of the darkness and it's like, wow, look at look at that, it's the darkness. And he he even brushes off the darkness much like the Doom Raiders brushed off Chaos, where it's like, oh, don't worry about it, Glumshanks, it's just the darkness, you know, it's just this force that I'm controlling. And at the end of the day, it's like, no, like, the darkness has been controlling him. It's it's really cool. It's actually a really good, solid plot. It really is. And it, this plot line goes from Chaos releasing the darkness and the darkness allowing him to believe he's taking over Skylands, he's got the Sky Eater, all the way up to the point where the darkness has left Chaos absolutely powerless to the point where he's joining forces with the Skylanders. Because whatever it takes so that only Chaos sits on the throne. And this this I do have to give credit to Vicarious Visions for. Because they took this very... It was like a looming presence in Spyro's Adventure. Because as you progress through the game, it continues to get darker and darker and darker. And like that's kind of cool. And like they reference the darkness. But really, like once you finally get the eternal magic source and you get that installed in the core light the darkness just goes away and it's like the darkness really is just kind of treated as just like a pawn of chaos it's just like something that chaos is bringing in spyro's adventure but here when they bring the darkness back and they actually choose to like really power up the darkness to the point that we realize that the darkness is sentient and is actually just has actually just been weakened this whole time and is actually this really malevolent dark force from another dimension like they really do a good job of building up that plot line and building up that character and having some really fun interactions throughout the entire story of superchargers he is evil and like they they really do a good job with it and having him interact with chaos to really make him showcase that chaos wants to be like the the ruler and wants to be able to be in charge not the darkness and it's really fun and then we move on into skylanders imaginators where chaos is kind of tapping back into his powers as a portal master again and creating doomlanders but his doomlanders are kind of puny and weak so he tries to enlist the help of an ancient in this case this ancient is brain yeah, so Brain is an interesting foil. I'm not too huge of a fan of him. Like, he works okay, but I, I'm about as big of a fan of him as, like, the Archean Conquertron. Granted, he does do a little bit more, I think, than the Archean Conquertron, but he's not overall, like, amazing to me. I think the Archean Conquertron is definitely the weakest foil out of all of them, but... Brain is also kind of close to that level, and I think the main reason for it is, like, because we don't really get to see him push Chaos's buttons all that much. Like, he does kind of manipulate Chaos a little bit in being like, oh, well, like, this is what you need to be doing, or this is what you need to be doing. Like, he's kind of giving him a lot of, like, pointers, but it really kind of annoys Chaos. So I don't really know how much Brain quite does 
Asafoil. What Brain does is he tries to point out to Chaos that Chaos isn't asking the right questions. In the sense that there, there's a point in time where Brain realizes that Chaos wants to be the big emperor on top. He realizes that Chaos wants this, this power, that he wants the throne. What Chaos is asking him is, as he points out, essentially how to build a better bad guy. When maybe that's not necessarily the route he should be looking at, maybe he should be looking at something different entirely. I think that's the biggest thing that makes Brain a foil for him, an actual foil for him, is that he's pointing out that, really, you're trying to reach this goal, but your whole feud with the Skylanders and what you're doing over here is not even on a parallel track to that. It's just a distraction. And I feel like he tries to point that out, but in a roundabout way. And so Chaos doesn't really ever get the message. Yeah, that's that's true. To the point where eventually Brain just like shrugs him off and decides to go join the Skylanders at the end. So that is true. Like I do, I do definitely see that. And Brain is a fun character. Like I guess we get to learn a little bit more about the Ancients, who we've not really gotten too much backstory for beforehand, but we kind of only get a little bit of a glimpse of it with Brain, and that Brain was apparently this like rogue ancient who didn't quite agree with the rules hence him making comments about anti-disestablishmentarianism that's kind of cool like we get to learn that like okay so the ancients aren't maybe as revered like they aren't as like i guess magical and omnipotent like you know here we have this like rogue ancient who like makes mistakes and is here working with chaos uh so that's that's kind of like an interesting plot line in that you know like we get to learn a little bit more about the ancients in that way but yeah i do agree like that does make sense like brain is here to kind of act as like a hey you've not been asking the right questions this whole time he he kind of implies to chaos that he's looking a little bit more at the short term and looking at things a little bit more from the view of the past as opposed to like looking at things in the long term and looking towards the future i do see where you're coming from there so brain is definitely cool but i don't think he really like, while I think he's there to maybe, like, lead the plot forward, I don't think he really manages to do a lot when it comes to character development and, and highlighting character traits as maybe Chaos's mom and Glumshanks on the Darkness does. That's true, but that's primarily because of the character development behind Chaos, where he really doesn't want to realize that he's not on the right path. Like, he's kind of missing the whole point. I think that's just really emphasized by Brain's existence in the story. <laughs> yeah that is true like as we talked about in the last episode where he often likes to place blame on glumshanks and he wants to just kind of like be like okay well none of this is my fault like he doesn't really realize that the reason why he doesn't have friends and the reason why he is you know like not able to rule skylanders is because he actually needs to look internally and like look at you know and accept that he does have faults and that he does need to work on himself so in that way just as he's missing the point on how to rule skylands correctly he's also the missing the point on what the lessons of his failures are trying to tell him generally so actually you know what maybe brain is actually a little bit more nuanced here i feel as though brain actually did a really really good job of you know, pointing out those flaws in Chaos's character. I And I feel like it's a very Chaos thing to do, to have th this opportunity to learn right in front of him and be more focused instead on, no, we're going to do this my way, we're going to build a better bad guy. Exactly, like, I definitely agree with that. 
honestly, I'd what I'd like to see if we ever get like a future Sand Islanders game. One, I'd really like to see a Chaos prequel where we do get to kind of explore a little bit more of his backstory, as we talked about in the last episode. But I'd also really kind of like to see a redemption arc for Chaos in a way. I'd really like to see uh, all of these like lessons that he's had with these foils over the years maybe finally come to a head and him actually realize like oh like maybe i can have everything that i want by teaming up with the skylanders and like the excuse that we get for getting a chaos figure is that it's just like a clone of chaos and that he's just kind of temporarily teaming up with the skylanders because it seems to be the right thing to do at the moment to be able to get him on the throne but honestly i'd like to see like an actual kind of redemption arc for for chaos where it's like no he actually realizes that you know the the respect and the friends that he wants is actually kind of able to be in his grasp and it has been all along he's just not gone about it in the right way and then that'll give blobbers a chance to shine as the ultimate evil overlord of skylands oh yes now if chaos were to actually decide to join the skylanders he'd actually have to have a couple skylanders around first to befriend so i think we should head off on a legendary treasure hunt to shop for some skylanders It's that time again for another legendary treasure hunt where we try to find friends for chaos at the best bargain possible. So this week's challenge was to find a lot of the most villain figures for the max price of $40. So as per usual, it's going to be a point for every villain figure that's on the lot, half a point for every $5 under the max price, and minus half a point for every Shroom Boom in the lot. And as I am hosting this week, I do have the ability to add one extra bonus point to the lot that seems to be the better lot for any number of reasons, whether it's new in box or just has something cool to add to it. So Ditto, let's go ahead and start off with your lot. Where do you find it? How much is it? And what does it include? All right. Well, my lot for this week was found on Mercari, and it contains six figures, three kingpins and three golden queens for a total of $6. So it's a dollar a figure, which is really nice, but it's three kingpins and three golden queen with no variation. Yet again, kind of like last episode where we had the chaos trophies, we have kind of a similar situation with this lot here where none of them are new in box. So it's not like you can keep one of them on the shelf and then have the other two for upgrade paths or something. I mean, technically, like you could like basically use two of the kingpins and two of the golden queens and put them on different paths, but then you still kind of have those extra ones that... I mean, I guess you could use them as decoration, but it is kind of, uh, like, not quite there. Yeah, in this case, I would either display them or I'd give them to a friend. But still, like, not not an awful lot by any means. You know, you definitely do have a good variety here by just the upgrade paths alone. So, starting out, you have three villain figures, so that brings your initial total to three points. And then you are $34 under the max price of 40 which gives you three additional points on top of those three points, which brings your total up to six points this week. Awesome. Once again, a really nice score for a somewhat mediocre lot. Yeah, honestly, not bad. The lot that I found this week comes from eBay, and it is priced at $10.00. 
and it consists of Kingpin, Golden Queen, and Dr. Crankcase. So my lot has two villain figures, bringing the initial total up to two, and I am exactly $30 under the price limit, giving me an additional three points, which brings my total up to five, but because my lot does have just like a little bit of variety in it there with Dr. Crankcase and him not being a starter pack character, I do think I'm going to have to give myself the bonus point this week, bringing my total up to six points, which means that I actually tie with Ditto this week for the highest scoring lot. So congratulations. Good game. Awesome. Good game to you, too. This one was challenging because trying to find sensei or villain figures, any character from Imaginators actually on a budget of $40 and to get more than one or two of them in there, that's insanely difficult right now. It really is. It's doable. It's doable. Sometimes you have to have patience. It's just that the really, really good deals didn't show up before we recorded this episode. It was a really, really difficult challenge, and I think we both did really well with what we had to work with. I agree. And now that we've found some friends for chaos, it's time for us all to go aboard the Dreadgot to head off and find out what destination we're going to be touring this week. Here we are aboard the Dreadyacht, soaring over what appears to be some sort of Archean ruins. Flynn's brought us here because he wants to show us a giant stone monkey, I guess? Well, should be pretty cool. So in this week's tour, we will be visiting the Rampant Ruins from Skylander Swap Force. Now this level is themed very heavily around Archean technology. And it's a really, really cool design. So cool, in fact, that they would later go to design a racetrack around this level. That's very true. Like, I really like the theming of this level and the idea of this level. It very much kind of harkens back to Time of the Giants, where we also had an Archean Conquertron kind of overseeing, like, the building of some some monuments and some ruins, and this kind of harkens back to that a little bit. But it just kind of seems bigger in, in many ways, and that we see a lot of kind of broken down, shut down Archeans, and we have a lot more ruins that we're able to progress through. Uh, and then we also have this giant monkey statue as well, and I really like the look at this level. I think it looks really well polished. It really is just a very vibrant and colorful level and it also just manages to set the tone pretty well in that while all the colors are pretty lush and vibrant, it also does have a little bit of a darker tone and a little bit more of a mysterious tone. And I think that especially fits well with the main evilized villain in this level other than evilized Glumshanks being the candy bats <laughs> or as we like to call them or the sugar bats and it's a like really solidly designed level. All the battle arenas are pretty fun. I like the block puzzles as well. And it's just, it really feels like it all kind of cohesively works together as you're progressing throughout this entire level. It really does. And the technology is really, really emphasized. We meet a couple Archean enemies, such as the Archean Knuckle Duster, who actually wasn't properly introduced until after this level. And then there's the technology behind the light sources that activate the Stone Monkey at the end. And that's also really cool to see. Plus, you've got the ground obstacles that are those, like, they're some sort of, like, bamboo spears that come out of the ground. 
And overall, this this level's just a bit of a wild ride. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And as you mentioned, the technology behind those light puzzles to activate the stone monkey uh those are cool and they also kind of relate a little bit to the puzzles to be able to unlock the doors as well in which you kind of have to match up colors and in a way to be able to get that door to unlock and it does kind of feel a little indiana jones like in a way it is kind of similar in that like it does kind of feel like you're in this like booby trapped kind of labyrinth but i really enjoy it like it actually feels like they had a variety of different stuff from a variety variety of puzzles and also a variety of enemies as well you mentioned the knuckle dusters and while they can be annoying they are also kind of fun to fight like they do have a unique move set as well they really do and then from a speedrunning perspective this level is a lot of fun as long as you know your route because this level if you there are a couple points where if you take a wrong turn you get stuck in a battle arena and have to defeat all the enemies for that door to open up so you can go back the other way to where you were actually supposed to be. This level does have a lot of twisting paths as well. And it does also have a a couple good hiding locations for collectibles as well. Oh yes. So all in all, this level was actually one of the better ones from Swap Force. It didn't feel too much longer than it needed to be. It felt a lot shorter than most of the Swap Force levels did. Yeah, I agree. Like, unlike a lot of the Swap Force levels, this level doesn't feel like it went on like 10 or 15 minutes too long if you're casually playing through it. Like, it actually does kind of feel like it was almost typically like a regular Skylanders level length. And I do really appreciate that about this level. Unfortunately, it seems our time here is up. We need to get back to the Dreadyacht now. That stone monkey is moving. I did not expect the stone monkey. Off to the Archean Arena! Once again, we have landed in the Archean Arena, where we pit Skylander against Skylander in a bout of hypothetical combat. Ditto, which Skylander have you brought to the Archean Arena this week? Well, this week I decided I was going to go a little bad. So I have brought the biggest, baddest Skylander I could come up with, and that is the Golden Queen. All right. Now, Golden Queen is a ranged Earth Element Skylander with a maximum health at level 20 of 810, critical hit 79, armor 68, speed 60, luck 37. Her attack one is Winged Scarabs, which releases winged scarabs made out of gold dust, dealing 73 points of damage, or 262 when charged. Oh my. Her attack two is Golden Shockwave, which creates a golden shockwave that turns any nearby enemies into gold, dealing 29 points of damage. And her attack 3 is Royal Guard, which summons a guard turret that fires golden blades at enemies, dealing 45 points of damage. For upgrade paths, Golden Queen's top path is called Ancient History, which allows for attack 1 to be charged and increases the attack 1 damage. Her bottom path is called In My Defense, and it allows for an additional guard turret to be summoned, generates force fields for guard turrets, and if she uses her winged scarabs on a guard turret, it fires blades out in every direction. Alright, so Golden Queen definitely seems pretty imposing here. 
And I will also like to point out her soul gem allows for her to charge her attack too to transform into giant queen, which then gives her additional attacks. Attack one smashing the ground and attack three shooting eye lasers. She's a lot of fun to play as, even more so than she was in Trap Team. And on top of that, she's got some serious power behind her, especially if she's able to charge that attack one, which her charge time for that attack is not very long at all. Yes. And for it to do a massive 262 points of damage, that's that's really frightening. Yeah, especially considering my character's charge damage for attack one, <laughs> uh, which takes a lot longer to charge and does not do nearly as much damage. And which character might that be? So the character that I've brought to the Arcanean Arena this week is Dark Megaram Spyro from Skylanders Swap Force. Ooh. Okay. Dark Spyro is of the magic element and has a mixed kind of combat. Has a health of 840, critical hit of 56, armor of 29, speed of 45, and luck of 26. His primary attack is Dragon's Fire, where he shoots a fireball for 51 points of damage and deals 122 damage when charged. His attack 2 is Charge, where he charges ahead with his horns for 22 damage. And his tertiary attack is Spyro's Flight, which deals 0 damage, as is typical for the dragons from Spyro's Adventure. His top path is Sheepburner Spyro, where attack 1 gains charge, improved damage, and explodes. Meanwhile, his bottom path is Blitz Spyro, where attack 2 gains stun, increased damage, and duration. So while Spyro is definitely a lot of fun, and he does have some pretty cool moves and some pretty cool ways to combo, it is really going to be hard for him to go up against Golden Queen here. The only stat that Spyro has superior to Golden Queen is health, and that's only by 30 points. So... That and all of his attack damages are lower than hers. His attack one, charging it up for that big triple digit damage, takes, I'd say, twice as long, maybe three times as long as Golden Queen's charge, and only does half the damage. Now, Mega Ram Spyro does have the additional effect of, if on the right path, his charge attack will fire off that Spyro head going forward. But even that, I don't think really changes much of anything here no it really does not like that that is also going to be a very situational kind of attack and that's not going to deal that much more damage anyway no so in this case like the best that spyro is going to be able to do his tertiary attack is useless like yeah it gives him a little bit more speed but his actual ability he might be able to dodge scarabs a little faster but that's also highly doubtful the scarabs fly too quick yeah that's barely going to do anything if at all and then on top of that the fact that you're able to like you have a harder time turning when in dragon flight mode is going to make dodging those pretty much null and void anyway the only thing that spyro can do because he's gonna want to stay away from golden queen is to basically try to do dragon's fire and try to charge that up and dodge scarabs from a distance which is gonna be kind of hard because his charge time to charge that up is actually um pretty difficult like that takes a while and there's a good chance that he's gonna get hit and knocked out of that charging animation by a scarab in the meantime because like if he's just standing in one place for a couple seconds he's gonna get hit so the best hope that spyro even has is to basically run around the stage and shoot the occasional fireball and hope it lands and even then that's only going to be dealing 51 points of damage exactly 
with Golden Queen, the way I would handle this is I would drop a guard turret and I would fire off those scarabs, charging them up every... Well, actually, I'd probably end up charging them up most of the time because if Spyro gets close, yeah, I'm just going to turn him to gold and lay the smackdown on him. Yeah, there's really not a way that Spyro's going to be able to find a way out of the situation where he wins. So I have to declare Golden Queen the winner 10 out of 10 times... A hundred out of a hundred times, Golden Queen is going to be the winner in this matchup of Golden Queen versus Dark Spyro. Well played, though, Inklander. Well played to you as well. That brings us to the end of today's episode. You'll find our website and our individual channels listed in the description. Follow our Twitter at SLPortalcasters for regular updates about the podcast and join our Discord server for Skylanders discussions. Thank you for listening, and in the next episode, we will be discussing Skystones. See you then. Bye. Bye.